Josh, do you support some kind of mandatory cooling off period for injured players before returning to the game, or is that something you, it's just a reality of the sport in this yeah. era? You know what's crazy is the officials wanted that tonight. I thought that was pretty comical that they came up and said that to me. That feeling of tomorrow morning and you're University of Arkansas and you're in our state, and our state of Arkansas, and you're proud of the Razorbacks, that's, that's what I felt whenever, you know, uh, they were given. KJ his trophy in the team ours, you know, and to and to be Outback Bowl champions with nine wins, I'm really really proud of our team with, with you know what we've accomplished. You know, two of the teams that beat us also were pretty good last night. You know, so uh, we play in a heck of a league, and I'm proud to be. And I said it a long time ago, we're in SEC West, right where Arkansas belongs, and we're starting to prove that. I mean, the the anticipation of the mayo bath and then I got hammered in the back of the head by the cooler before they dumped it on me so I may have a concussion uh from that and then on top of that I got the mayo and uh it was awful to be honest with you I mean I'm so glad I got to experience because we won but it was even more awful than I thought it would be to be honest with you I mean these pants and and I changed shirts but it's 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 I mean I got mayo in my pockets and and I'll be getting mayo off of me for months. Oh, welcome in to the latest episode of that SEC podcast. I'm your host, Mike Braddon. I go by SEC Mike on Twitter. And man, we got a great show lined up today. We got two guests on the line. We've got the great Tony Basilio. Everybody knows that name. Knoxville radio host, TonyBasilio.com. He's on the FM. He's on the AM. He's had one of the best radio shows, not only in the Knoxville market, but across the SEC for years and years and years. So he's going to be joining the show to talk a little Tennessee football. We got Ben Portnoy of the state newspaper out of Columbia, talk a little South Carolina football. So, hey, loaded show here. That's what I'm trying to do. If Cousin Shane can't be on the show, load us up with some guests so it's not just me sitting here spieling. But before we get to those two interviews, love to talk on all 14 SEC teams if we can. And I got a great way to do it here because we've already shifted gears to the 2022 season and we have got odds to win the national championship courtesy of Bet Online for all 14 SEC teams. So let's start right at the top. No surprise here. They're always going to be in the running as long as old Nick Saban's down there. Alabama has the best odds right now among SEC teams to win the national title next season with 3-1. to one. And you got to love those odds. If you're an Alabama fan, you got Bryce Young coming back, the Heisman Trophy winner. Will Anderson, who's getting some love as the best defensive player. Some people say the best overall player in the country. Now, you've, of course, had a couple of guys hit the portal. There's going to be major... NFL decisions that have to be made across this roster, but you bring in an Eli Ricks transfer from LSU, one of the top cornerbacks in the SEC, switching gears from the Tigers to the Tide. You're bringing in Jameer Gibbs, third in the country all-purpose yards to take up that slack at the running back position. I mean, Alabama, let's not kid ourselves. They're going to be loaded next season, so no surprise, betting favorite, 3-1, to one, Alabama Crimson Tide, but right behind them, Again, no surprise, the Georgia Bulldogs, three and a half to one to be 
a defending national championship. And how great does that sound if you're a Bulldog, right? You waited years and years and years to be a national champion. Now you got great odds to be defending national champions two years in a row. Something I believe Nick Saban's only done once. Hey, I'm just saying, Kirby, you got the ability to match him here in 2022. And I believe Ohio State, I'm not looking at the odds, only got the SEC right here, but Ohio State's right there in the mix. Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, those are your three favorites to win the national title next season. So Alabama, Georgia fans, got to love to hear that. Now we got a little bit of a drop-off here, but uh, at 16-1, to 1, the Texas A&M Aggies, with all this talent, the Jimbo, that Jimbo Fisher and company has managed to corral down there in College Station, third best odds in the SEC right now to win the national title according to bet online so you're assuming you know we're going to get the team we got in 2020 a little closer than 2021 of course many uh tight ball games didn't go your way maybe that flips the other way but hey i think aggies will take out right now third best odds in the sec to go on and win the national championship next season now we've got four teams here another this is a significant drop off between alabama georgia and a&m but we've got four teams here with all the same odds, 66 to 1 to win the national championship. We've got Arkansas, Auburn, Florida, LSU. And that's interesting because we got a mix of two first year coaches, Billy Napier in Gainesville, Brian Kelly in Baton Rouge. And then we've got Sam Pittman and company coming off the best season in 10 years there in Fayetteville. How great does that sound? You're right there. Fourth best odds to win the national championship when even last season you didn't have the best four odds, fourth best odds to win the SEC West. That's how quickly Sam Pittman and company have turned this thing around. You got KJ Jefferson returning. Tough schedule again, but hey, they say that every year about the Razorbacks and they continue to prove their doubters wrong. So, you know, not stunning. That's not stunning to me at all. 66 to 1 Arkansas Razorbacks. The one it is surprising. Auburn Tigers, 66 to 1. Same odds as Arkansas. I know Auburn won last year, but a lot of turnover there on that offensive side of the ball. Bo Nix, Kobe Hudson off. You do get Tank Bigsby, of course, is back. So, hey, you may have the best running back in the SEC. You got a hell of a defensive coordinator that, uh, you know, did a pretty good job in year one. So, going through through this rugged SEC West, and that, that's going to be a chore for the Auburn Tigers. So I'm not quite buying 66 to one for them. And the same thing, I think with Florida and LSU with first year coaches, you know, to have the fourth best odds in, I think they're basing that off your talent. And I think even Florida fans would tell you the talent's dipped a little since Dan Mullen's been there. LSU, the talent's not dipped. They've racked up incredible recruiting classes under Coach O, but a lot of those players are, Gone via the transfer portal. Some are off to the NFL. LSU makes some sense. Brian Kelly's got that championship pedigree. But again, I'm not sitting here saying I like Florida and LSU to compete for the national title. But I guess I get it more than anything else based on the program prestige, the coaches they got coming in, championship caliber. And, and I know obviously Louisiana and Notre Dame, two different programs. But hell, Billy Napier's. Been in that uh, Sun Belt Championship game, what, three years in a row. Brian Kelly has Notre Dame annually in the college football playoff discussion. So 
LSU, Florida getting some love there at 66 to 1. Now, here's what I really like. And there's two teams here again with the same odds Kentucky and Ole Miss, 80 to 1. Well, I actually love both these odds for both these programs. It's, it's hard to know what to make of Ole Miss right now because we don't know who the quarterback's going to be. Anticipate. It sounds like Jackson Dart, the uh, Southern California quarterback, going to take a visit. Could that be Lane Kiffin's guy? Was playing for the Trojans next season. They just landed Zach Evans. They're landing players on the defensive side of the ball left and right via the transfer portal. So Ole Miss ain't going anywhere as long as Lane Kiffin's there. I got confidence in him. But 80-1, to 1, that's – now we're getting down to some value bets here. And Kentucky, hell, people still fighting my mentions. Three days later, I got them number three in the SEC heading into the offseason. So, you know, I, I love 80-1 to 1 odds to win the national championship. This should be the best Kentucky team Mark Stoops has ever had. I'm basing it on the line of scrimmage depth, the depth across the board, some of that star power they've got coming back, like Chris Rodriguez, Will Levis and the entire linebacking core. I mean, Kentucky's going to be trouble for a lot of teams next season. So 80-1 to 1 for both Ole Miss and Kentucky. I love those odds. Now, again, we got two teams here. I kind of like these odds, not as much as Kentucky and Ole Miss, but not far behind either. Tennessee, South Carolina, both with the same odds, 100-1 to 1, to win the national championship. So much momentum. With both of these programs, it's, it's interesting. They kind of mirror each other. Now South Carolina's got their transfer quarterback, where obviously Tennessee got Hendon Hooker this time last year, and, and they've taken off so much firepower returning for the Vols. Got to get that defense up to snuff, though, if they're going to be seriously contending for a national championship. And I think it's the flip side for South Carolina. Much stronger defense. Got to get this offense going. But that's what they've really attacked with the transfer portal, with uh, Spencer Rattler, Austin Stogner, the Wake Forest running back, a couple others. So that's something we're going to talk with uh, Ben Portnoy here in just a moment. But, hey, Tennessee, South Carolina, if you want to take a flyer on either one of them, 100-1. to One, one thing that uh, both could potentially have that you need to win a college football playoff is elite quarterback play. And, uh, yeah. Now, I'm sitting here talking in myself, the Vols and the Gamecocks, 101, not bad. Now, how about this? Mississippi State, all the way down the list, I don't, I don't know, I don't get this one, 200 to 1. So much luster off their season gone after losing the Egg Bowl, losing the bowl game, but really that doesn't mean much for the upcoming season, and I think this should be Mike Leach's best team there at Mississippi State. They went on the road, won some big games, including Texas A&M, uh, beat Auburn on the plains. I mean, you cannot overlook the fact that uh, things are starting to click for the Mississippi State Bulldogs. Year three of Mike Leach. Let's see what they come up with on the defensive side of the ball. Got to get a little bit better. They were better year one than they were year two. You, we need that thing to flip around. We need the offense to continue to progress. We need this offensive line to come together. But Mike Leach, you know, he takes these receivers and makes them into gold. I think he'll do that again. They've got two talented running backs. And I love Will Rogers. I know I basically will say it all season. I'd rather have Matt Corral. Well, he's gone. So I'd rather have Will Rogers than whoever they got in Oxford right now because they don't got one right now. So uh, 200 to 1, I'm shaking my head at that. That's that's too low for Mississippi State. Now, Missouri, 300 to 1. I could kind of get that because, again, 
You're losing Tyler Beatty. Don't know who the quarterback's going to be, even though you've got some nice options. Defense was average at best, sometimes a disaster with Steve Wilkes. So they need to take a huge step forward. I just don't think Missouri's got the line of scrimmage to win a national championship. I mean, we're just I'm just being honest here. And then, of course, Vanderbilt, 500 to 1. That's probably worth five bucks down in Vegas if you want to take a push. <laughs> yeah, come on. Vanderbilt, you're not going to win the national championship. That shouldn't be your goal. But those are your odds for the Commodores, 500 to 1 to win the national championship as of uh, January 12th here, uh, according to Bet Online. But all right, we're going to get this thing moving because, like I said, we got two outstanding interviews, not just for the fans of these teams. We I tried to hit on a, a couple different teams with Tony Basilio, and Ben's going to provide some outstanding insight into uh, the transfers that South Carolina landed here in recent weeks. So let's kick it off first with my man, Tony Basilio. This is a great interview. All right, we're pleased to be joined by the legendary Tony Basilio, one of the best out there, not only in the SEC, but the go-to man there for Tennessee and Tennessee athletics. TonyBasilio.com, 99.7 FM, 1040 AM, weekdays, 11 to 1. Tony, thank you very, very much for joining the show. Oh, Mike, it's a real honor, and it's always great to talk to you, so it's a real honor to uh, reciprocate. Yeah, well, like I was saying right before we started recording here, man, every time we have you on the show, uh, people love it. Uh, my dad, I don't think he's ever been as proud of me as when I got Tony Basilio <laughs> on the show. He's a He's been a long, long, long time follower of yours as well, so... Uh, as have we all. So, man, you're the go-to guy to, when talking Tennessee football, like I said. So, you know, I, I really wanted to ask you this because I think the thing that makes you stand out, what makes you unique is these post-game shows you do where you go all hours into the night. Yeah. So what game this year resulted in the longest post-game show for Tony Basilio? Well, let's look back at that. Uh, guy, you know what? Um, I don't know. Uh, okay. First game of the year, we went all night. <laughs> and that was, that? A, that was a is Thursday that, is that night enough? Game, we, right? went, we went, yeah, so that game started at 8, and so we were on from 11 to 11 the next morning. <laughs> I wasn't in there the full 12 hours. We kind of shifted that. But I did the first. I think I did the first five and a half. Yeah. Oh, man. I think I went to bed at 4.30 in the morning, something to that effect. Yeah, and, and I mean, it's it's great for Tennessee fans. It's great for uh, the opposing fans because if Tennessee loses, oh, yeah. they love tuning in and just seeing all these Vols crying and, and to yep. Tony telling it like it is. But that that's another thing that I love about you, Tony. You, just, you don't sugarcoat anything. You tell it like you see it, like you hear it. And that's another reason I really wanted to ask you this. What grade do you give Josh Heupel for his first season – which, uh, you know, had a lot of highs, but but some lows as well. You know, I, I just think from from where they came from, it's funny you'd mention that. I haven't needed to do a letter grade day on him on my show, which I guess we never really even got into because there's so much other stuff going on mm -hmm. uh, with this transfer, the portal, and the, this NIL stuff, and right. just all the talk around the league and the playoff talk and everything else. So, uh Thinking out loud here, I'd have to say I'd give him a solid B+. Plus. Mm -hmm. um, you know, to get an A, you'd have to beat somebody you weren't supposed to beat. Mm -hmm. So, But I think a B-plus probably a pretty fair grade. And, you know, about those post-game shows that I do, one of the things that really 
baffles me, and you, you talk to you from all over the league, is the way these games are undercovered uh, post-game-wise. I've always found that very interesting that more people aren't doing what I'm doing all across this league. And one of the things that we try to do after these games is kind of celebrate both sides. Like uh, the older I get, the more I appreciate the fact that there's just so much passion across the league and the fact that um, without another passionate fan base, without another team suiting up, we're playing hoopties every week. <laughs> and that's no fun. When you, when you get to these hoopty games, when you're in the Southeastern Conference, you step out of the league. Uh, it, it just makes it a lot more fun when you get and, – and only in the Southeastern Conference do you get as many signature games as you get on any given schedule. And uh, it's up to Tennessee now to rise to the level to become a signature opponent on somebody's schedule. And I, th- I think they're heading back in that direction. And do you think there's pressure on the Vols to, to make that sooner than, than later? Because, you know, of course – we don't know when officially, but we got Texas and Oklahoma coming with, you know, those are those are two marquee programs with marquee fan bases. And I feel like yeah. if you're not up to speed by that time, you're just going to get left in the dust potentially. Well, you know, and I hear, Mike, that they they're talking about um, toward that end, how they're going to schedule this stuff because mm-hmm. you have a Super League at that point. So I, I, I know that one of the schedules they – not this season, but next season, they've run a schedule with Oklahoma and Texas in it. That's already, that's already absolutely in the, in the pipeline and ready to go. The, the question that we all have is, are they just going to take one team and put, uh, put, put both those teams in the West, take two and shift them to the East, or are they going to go to this pod system? Because I think that's the next iteration of Southeastern Conference football. Mm-hmm. If you think about it, did go to that pod system, you, you could almost make a case. I mean, you could really think radically with that. You could do home and away games like they do in the NFL, have you a mini NFL, play those teams twice, play teams from the other conference a, a few less times, focus on the East, have like an NFC and an AFC. It would really... I, I kind of like that pod system. I don't know about playing somebody twice. I like the pod system per, from the perspective of it would allow you to play other teams. But, um, yeah, you're right. So so Tennessee's got to position themselves in the next couple of years. And I think it's uh, – I think they found a guy here that can give them some stability. Can he high-end win here, Mike? I don't know about that. I think – I don't think he knows about that. Mm-hmm. But can he – win enough, entertain enough, sell enough tickets, create enough buzz to stick around for a while. Sure. I think you can do that. Now, speaking of uh, Josh Heupel there, you know, one, you know, aside from the fact that he uh, started that uh, Joe Milton's coming out the season, that that's something that's hard for me to overlook, but be, but moving beyond that Agreed. short yardage and goal line has been a huge, huge issue. Now it's year one, maybe I'm being a little too harsh, but to win these tough games in the SEC, you know, I think back to Pitt, I think to Purdue, there, there's probably a yeah. couple other, you know, they are just not executing on the goal line like they should be. They're not executing in short yardage. Is that something that you got confidence can be uh, fixed this offseason with so many players returning? You know, I don't know. Um, and, and also, his mindset, I think, has to change. He's a guy that wants to play fast so much. Mm-hmm. Kenny Rogers once said, you know, you got to know when to hold them and when to fold them. 
uh, you know, at the end of some of these games and at the end of some of these halves, you got to use your timeouts. Yeah. And this is a guy that's averse to using timeouts. And when you're managing close games, in my mind, you got to squeeze every ounce of juice out of that lemon, or in this case, an orange that you possibly can. So I watch Tennessee sometimes and I go and talking to people around him, and his philosophy is, well, if I take time out, I'm giving you a time to substitute your players. Mm-hmm. Well, that's fine. But you can't let 10 seconds go off a clock against Purdue. Right. Tennessee, at the end of a ball game, to, the, to your listener that doesn't follow Tennessee football, they have a chance to kick, kick a field goal in regulation if they manage their time correctly. Uh, a closer field goal than the long shot they settled for, which had about zero chance of, of going through. But he does not take timeouts because he doesn't want the, def- the defense to substitute. And I, for the life of me, think that if he continues that, it's going to be difficult for him to function in close games because in this league you've got to you've got to be pretty good in close games if you're going to win more than you lose uh, after a five year period anyway. Right, and and they managed that against Kentucky, which is so kind of to me so baffling why they mismanaged it against Purdue. But that's something for for them to work on in the off season. Yeah, good point. What can you tell us about these new transfers they just uh, added to the to the roster? Isaiah Newerth the uh, Wyoming receiver, and, and Charlie Broder, local Tennessee kid, but he played for Central Florida last year. He's a tight end. Yeah. You hearing anything about these two guys? Well, the Browder kid, it's funny. I, I talked to a guy in the grassroots area here locally named Will Goodwin, who has a program who they – this kid was a basketball player. Mm-hmm. Will saw him, um, and he was in the Tri-Cities area, and they got him to come out and play some seven-on-seven football. Uh, you know, this new seven-on-seven stuff, summer ball. And he caught everything in sight, caught absolutely everything in sight. Uh, And then he ended up over there at the Christ School. Uh, He picked the phone up called He Shuler because Will also knew Navy, Mm -hmm. and he ended up over there. So now those two guys are reuniting back here in Knoxville because Navy Shuler is coming, is transferring in. uh, Heath's son is transferring in from App State. Tennessee really thinks the world of that Browder kid now. He had several other offers to go to different places out of um, after he took a year uh, to, to get bigger and, um, and all that stuff when he matriculated to Central Florida. There were other Division I suitors, including the Arizona States of the world, who wanted him to be an offensive lineman. But Will tells me that this kid has high-end receiving ability as a tight end and then I, I got corroboration of that from a local guy. When you do what I do, and as long as I've done it, you just get to know these people. Mm-hmm. He texted me when uh, Browder committed to Tennessee a couple of days ago. Uh, he texted me that this is a young man who had great hands in basketball. It's the way he put it. He said he also had a way in space of, um, of understanding uh, – he called it spatial awareness as a, as a big man in basketball. He said he would have been a nice basketball player, but he said he's, he believes that this kid's going to be a very, very good uh, pickup for Tennessee. As for the young man from Wyoming, you know, if you would have said to me, I, I watch Wyoming football. If you would have said, I like their uniforms, always have kind of a guilty pleasure of mine. Mm-hmm. They're, they're on CBS Sports Network a bunch. Mm-hmm. And they're, sometimes their games are on late at night, and they play like at odd hours. And I just always loved watching Wyoming. They play in a really cool little stadium. That kid 
is a going to be a great, not good, he's going to be a great player in this Josh Heupel offense. I predict he's extremely product, productive for Tennessee next year, and I predict he, he catches north of, uh, well, let's just say it right now, I, I predict that kid catches at least 15 touchdown passes in their wow. offense next year. Now let me ask you about, uh, of course, the team in the East there that's go- that plays Tennessee every year, the Kentucky Wildcats just won 10 games. Are you buying the, the offseason hype, or, or do you think this is just another case of uh, Kentucky fans getting fired up and they're going to be disappointed in the fall? Well, look, I've got a great amount of respect for Stoops and what he's built there. Um, you know, different variations of Kentucky through the years, they've had some pretty good teams. Mm-hmm. But this guy here has built his – and if you look at the NFL, this guy here has built his program on solid lines. Yeah, This is not Hal Mummy's Kentucky. This is not Rich Brooks's Kentucky. I mean, that's a legit football team they put on the field year in and year out. And you pointed to the the – the win over Kentucky for Tennessee, that might be Tennessee's best win of the year. I mean, that, that Kentucky team was really, really close to being very good. Um, and what are you going to do when, with Georgia in your league, you know, in, in your division and you're mm-hmm. Kentucky? You're light years away from them. But going out and beating Florida like that, going out and beating LSU like that at the University of Kentucky, I mean, at a basketball school, which is what that is, which is what it's always going to be. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, I respect the heck, that, the heck out of that Stoops guy. And um, I've always found their, their fans, their football fans, to be sort of akin to our basketball fans. They're sort of long-suffering and underserved. So, I guess long-term, I, look, I think for Tennessee to get back to being Tennessee, they've got to get back to beating Kentucky year in and year out, uh, South Carolina year in and year out. Missouri year in and year out, and Vanderbilt year in and year out. I mean, those should be roll-out-of-bed wins. They're not just yet. They should be, but they're not just yet. The guy at South Carolina is really impressing me with the job he's done, Mike. That's, um, I mean, who's had a louder offseason than they've had? Yeah, no one in the SEC to this point, that's for sure. No. And last thing for you, Tony, I really appreciate all your time because this is the game that uh, all Tennessee fans, at least in the younger generation, got circled year in, year out, Florida. They come to Tennessee this year, and you know I, I wouldn't hold it against you if you don't know the Florida schedule, but here it is. Yeah. They open against Utah, which just played in the Rose Bowl. Wow. And then they, they play Kentucky at home, but Kentucky should be pretty solid. And then they play South Florida. So we're, we're looking at two big games for the Florida Gators in a new, with a new coach, and then they come to Neyland Stadium. I mean, this is a game I think um, – I don't want to put too much pressure on Josh Heupel, but I feel, I feel like he's got to win this game. In your mind, uh, what's what's Florida's record coming out of that three-game stretch? One and two. As we sit here. Yeah, I agree with that. I think they're one and two. Because, I, I, first of all, I don't, think they a, I, think, I don't think they were very good last year, and I think it showed. And they've had a lot of losses, and he comes in under the gun. And I don't. I didn't like that hire. You, you know why I didn't like that hire? In his league, he had a superior teams, mm-hmm. superior team to most of the teams they played. And one of the things that we've gotten into fooling around with, and I'm not a gambler, okay, but I'm surrounded by him. <laughs> so you have to follow the numbers when you're surrounded by the gamblers. Right. His teams always played down to their competition, always at, at his level where he just came from, mm-hmm. Louisiana. If you do that in this league, 
and you do that with the Utah, you do that with the Kentucky, those teams will beat you. Yeah. Uh, so this guy's got to uh, this guy's got to coach better than he did um, here recently at his last stop. So um, I'm inclined to agree with your your one and two assessment of them. And if that happens, they'll be they'll be just laying there for Tennessee to take. But here's the thing I've <laughs> here's the thing I've learned, Mike. Fool me once, <laughs> fool me twice. Well, that's that game's fooled me about ten times now. <laughs> so I'm I'm a damn fool. I'm not even a fool anymore. I'm like an effing fool at this point. <laughs> so if you think I'm coming on your podcast and predicting some bombastic Tennessee win over Florida, you're out of your damn mind. I've seen it, Mike. I'm sorry. I've just I, I've lived here too long. I've seen it. I mean, we've seen every boob, buffoon, and loser known to mankind beat us here. Uh, in the last, they've had guys that couldn't couldn't coach. Period. Uh, end the sentence. Come in here and beat Tennessee. So whatever. <laughs> hey, that's why you're the legend, Tony Basilio. I really appreciate your time. Again, check out TonyBasilio.com. Weekdays, eleven to one on ninety nine point seven FM, ten forty AM. I cannot thank you enough, Tony, for joining the show. Well. Yeah, and listen, and we blog every day. Our website is tclub.team. We call it tclub.team. Mm-hmm. Uh, head over there every day. We put a blog up. And, uh, Mike, let me know when this is ready, and I'll go ahead and link it up there. And and uh, and I pre- always appreciate you when you – like I said, when you come on my program, I always appreciate you. You're knowledgeable. And, and I kind of take you as somebody you, – you sort of see me the same way. I take you as somebody that does not have an agenda. Mm-hmm. You just kind of enjoy. Uh, you just enjoy the the Southeastern Conference and enjoy what we're doing here. And uh, and I greatly appreciate you giving me a, an opportunity here on your forum. Absolutely. Well, take care, Tony. Have a good night, and I hope to talk to you soon. All right. Be blessed, man. Thanks. All right. So, just want to say thanks again to Tony Basilio joining the show. Man, what a legend that guy is. I do his show sometimes. He's been on the show a number of times. Really, really appreciate him taking the time to come and talk some SEC football with us. And then last but certainly not least, Ben Portnoy from the state. Really appreciate Ben taking some time here to talk about South Carolina and all the work Shane Beamer and company are doing there with the transfer portal. You know, This is going to be a, potentially the surprise team, not only in the SEC, but the country next season the way they have been able to upgrade their roster with two cycles of recruiting two cycles of transfer including a former Heisman Trophy contender five-star quarterback the game's most important position that can turn over your complete team in a single offseason so credit Shane Beamer and company for managing to pull that off and here's Ben Portnoy breaking it down with us we're pleased to be joined by Ben Portnoy who covers South Carolina for the state newspaper out of Columbia, South Carolina, of course. And you give him a follow at bportnoy15, which can be found in the show notes. Ben, thanks for joining me. I really appreciate it. Yeah, Mike, happy to be here. really appreciate you reaching out and having me on. Yeah, well, I mean, it's an exciting time to be sure to be a a Gamecock fan after the Duke Mayo Bowl and, and just the bashing they gave the North Carolina Tar Heels. And, of course, that came after 
some big pickups in the transfer portal from Oklahoma. And now we got uh, four new members of the Gamecocks. And that's really what I wanted to have you on about. You just wrote for the state here on Wednesday, what South Carolina's transfer portal additions mean for the Gamecocks. Uh, before we get into uh, each individual addition here, how big do you think this transfer portal could be for South Carolina to kind of close the gap in, in the SEC East there? Yeah, you know, I think that, you know, life the, the lifeblood of programs is still going to be high school players. You know, that's where you build depth. That's where you build, you know, you know, you can plug holes, but, you know, you build that sort of large scale, I guess, for lack of a better term, organizational depth. And that's still, you know, two or three or even four year process. But I think what the transfer portal does, and especially at South Carolina, a place where, you know, look, South Carolina has signed some elite recruits, you know, Devion Clowney in 20, I guess, what was that, 20, 2008 or 2009? I can't remember the year now. But, um, you know, they've signed five star guys in the past couple of years, just in Jordan Birch and Zach Pickens as well, that were, you know, top 10 excuse me, recruits in the country. So, you know, they've signed some elite guys, but not at the same scale as, you know, the Georgias, the Alabamas, the even Floridas, you could argue too, and, and schools like that. And so, you know, for South Carolina, you know, the transfer portal opens you up to be able to bring in guys who are, you know, one instant impact guys, but, you know, guys that sort of fill that void of where, you know, you may not have quite the same kind of star power that, that some of those other programs do. And, and it allows you to sort of, I guess, on some level, level the playing field, um, and I think for South Carolina, it's been a really crucial part of what they've done. I mean, they brought in uh, nine or ten transfers last year, uh, and that you know go, went a long way. I mean, about six to seven of those guys ended up being uh, impact players. One player didn't, you know, Karan Prunty didn't end up playing in South Carolina last year. So I guess we can count it as ten out of nine. So you know, a six out of nine hit rate is one that I think most coaches in America will take, and you know, they're hoping for uh, something similar with this group of guys. Yeah, so that's something you also referenced in uh, your recent article for the state, just South Carolina and their uh, utilization of the transfer portal last year. What is it uh, about Shane Beamer and company that uh, they're so successful in landing these uh, transfer portal guys? Is it playing in the SEC? Is it coming to a roster that uh, could certainly use the help? What What is it if you had to put your finger on it? Yeah, I think it's a combination of things. I mean, I think that you know Shane Beamer is a guy that, you know, connects well with players. I think that kind of permeates down on into his staff. There's some guys on the staff who I think are really, really good recruiters, and I think it goes a long way. And, you know, South Carolina's in the process of, you know, finishing with a top 20 or 25 class uh, in the 2022 class. And, you know, they feel pretty good about where they might be in the 2023 class as well next year, um, you know, this time next year. So I, I think that they've got guys that connect well with prospects. I think that, you know, it's still – you know, look, South Carolina overachieved this year. They ended up seven and six, and that's a big deal. But at the same time, I think that this is still a roster that has needs and is still, like I said, kind of building that depth. And I think that, you know, you can still sell playing time with guys, I think, pretty easily with this roster. And, you know, South Carolina's gone out and gotten guys that I think will make a difference and then quickly. And I think that, you know, it's, a, like I said, it's a combination of, you know, playing time, it's roster construction, it's, you know, the personalities. But I think just generally speaking, also, you know, I think people just trust Shane Beamer. I think, you know, I was talking to Austin Stogner, who's the tight end from Oklahoma, mm -hmm. um, who's transferring to South Carolina, I guess, a week or two ago. And he was saying that, you know, he, he said straight up, he's like, there's nobody in college football I trust more than Shane Beamer. And, like, to hear guys say that, I mean, I know there, there's a lot of, you know, cliches and whatever else you want to hear in college football, but, like, you hear that from more than just one person. And I think that that, that goes a long way, and it tells you how people view a guy like Shane Beamer in the business and in the in the – college world of college football and i think that you know that that 
that translates with recruits. Well, yeah, you, so you talk about Stogner. I'm glad you did because I wanted to ask you about him and, and Spencer Rattler, of course. How much buzz and juice did that give this uh, program? And, you know, I know fans, it's short for fanatics, but, I mean, my goodness, I'm hearing some Gamecocks thinking, you know, this this could be their rise in the SEC and – Maybe they'll be the ones that surprise everybody and make it to Atlanta next season. And uh, it's going to come, if that comes, it's going to be because Spencer Rattler is just an elite player. So you know, how much buzz and momentum does that give the program with just those two additions? That's the thing that's so crazy is that, you know, if you're South Carolina, I mean, you know, folks will circle the three-year stretch where Spurrier won 11 games in three straight years. But Outside of that, I mean, South Carolina is not, does not have much, if any, of a football history. And, you know, folks here might argue otherwise, but the reality is South Carolina has been a pretty middle-of-the-pack to, to sort of end-of-the-pack <laughs> program for most of its existence. And, and I know that's tough, and I know it's a hard pill to swallow for a lot of fans, but I think that, you know, because of that, South Carolina hasn't been able to attract a guy like Spencer Rattler. Like, you know, I, I forget the exact number, but it's been, you know, 40-plus years since I think South Carolina's had a quarterback that was drafted in the NFL and also threw a pass. And I think that, you know, you can't win in this day and age without an elite quarterback. And I think, mm-hmm. you know, Spencer Rattler gives South Carolina exactly that. Stogner is going to be a part of that, that, that passing game as well. And I think that, you know, to sign a guy like Spencer Rattler, who, you know, I guess, what, 12 months ago, if that – um, you know, it was a Heisman front runner for, for it was a preseason Heisman front runner for the 2021 season, you know, six months ago, even or five months ago. And so I think that, you know, it gives South Carolina some instant credibility. I think it gives them some national attention that they wouldn't get otherwise. And, you know, this isn't, like I said, not a program that generally operates in the national um, under the national microscope. And I think that, you know, if you're South Carolina, one, that's something to relish. But, you know, whether Spencer Rattler plays well or whether Spencer Rattler plays terribly, like, people are going to watch. And I think that, that that matters, and that matters as far as moving forward as well. Now, shifting gears to the four guys uh, South Carolina just added here, what can you tell us about uh, starting with the running back Christian Beal Smith from Wake Forest? What do you know about him? Yeah, you know, South Carolina is in an interesting spot at running back just because they do lose Kevin Harris, and they also lose Quandre White, who are their mm-hmm. two leading rushers a year ago. And, you know, those guys weren't super, super consistent throughout the year. I mean, Kevin Harris led the SEC in rushing two years ago, but had off-season back surgery and never never really, frankly, quite looked right. Um, you know, went for 180 yards in the bowl game, but that was sort of the one, maybe one of two, maybe three games this year that you really looked and thought, okay, Kevin Harris looks like himself. And, you know, Zaquandre White didn't play for three straight games at one point. Um, you know, we never really got an explanation why, but, you know, he didn't get a recorded carry for three straight games and then all of a sudden kind of tore it up at the back end half of the season. So, you know, it's a little bit of an interesting situation, but you bring in a guy like Christian Beal Smith, who's, you know, led Wake Forest in rushing, if I'm not mistaken, the last two years and, and this past year as well, um, you know, for a team that won 11 games in the ACC last year. I mean, that, that's the kind of guy that you can kind of plug and play. I think that he's a nice compliment. He's a physical compliment to, to what South Carolina does have in Marshawn Lloyd and Juju McDowell, who are two kind of, you know, more speedy guys. They'll make you miss that kind of thing. Um, and I think that, you know, Christian Beal Smith's a, a, a nice compliment to what those guys can do. And I think it gives South Carolina, you know, again, for the shoot, third year, second, third year in a row, uh, a couple of running backs that they feel really good about. Now, what about the uh, receiver from James Madison, Antoine Wells? I know he's only played two years, but he, his name's all over the record book down there. Uh, do you think he can make an impact next season? Yeah, you know, he's one that I think is really interesting. And I, I think if, you know, there's one guy in this group that might pop a little bit, um, you know, isn't on radars right now necessarily, but might, you know, might be at the end of the next year. 
Uh, it's Antoine Wells. I mean, this is a guy that put up crazy numbers at James Madison. I mean, had over 1,200 yards receiving last year, had uh, 15 touchdowns. I mean, I think he's, you know, second in receiving yards, second in uh, touchdowns, and third in uh, <laughs> in uh, in receptions in school history last year, set single-season marks. Um, so, you know, it's just he's all over the record books, only played like one full season, uh, and, you know, to be able to put up those kinds of numbers over just that short of time is pretty impressive. You know, I talked to his former quarterback the other night, uh, Cole Johnson, who, you know, finished pretty high up there as far as records go uh, at, uh, at James Madison. And I think that, you know, he, he basically said like, you know, in the locker room, we used to joke that this guy was basically Jamar Chase and, mm. you know, Tino Sinceri, who, who is the brother of Vinny Sinceri, who worked at Alabama for a long time, has worked mm. at Alabama for a long time. And, Tino worked at Alabama a little bit as well. You know, at least what Cole said, said that Tino said that this guy's every bit as good as, you know, Henry Ruggs and, oh. and uh, you know, Devontae Smith and the, and those guys that, that were at Alabama and John Mechie and those guys that were at Alabama in recent years. So, you know, praise is one thing, but that's some pretty serious praise for a guy who, who's played basically one and a half seasons of college football. And I think that, you know, South Carolina needed help at receiver. And if there's one guy at a circle and – think you know hey this dude might be a stud like this that's the one i think out of this group now what about the uh the defensive lineman terrell dawkins nc state proud tradition of uh, producing defensive linemen what do you see in him yeah I, I think that he's a nice ad i think that south carolina had some issues stopping the run last year i think that he helps with that on some level um you know they do bring back jordan strong zach pickens jordan birch a couple of guys i mentioned earlier um, you know, to a group that, that was really, really elite this year. Um, you know, they do lose J.J. Anibari, and he, he's a guy that should be a pretty high, if not a first-round pick, a second- or third-round pick at the worst. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, so they've got a piece to replace there. They lose Aaron Sterling on the other side as well at defensive end. So, you know, they've got some pieces to pl- replace there, but I think that, excuse me, Terrell Dawkins is a guy that fits right in quickly. Um, I think he's a guy that, you know, dealt with some injuries last year, but had a really, really good freshman year at NC State. But I, I think still is a position of need and is, is a proven commodity. I think that's the thing that you get with all of these guys is that, you know, short of Antoine Wells, who I guess you could argue did it at the FCS level, so you don't necessarily know how that's going to translate. Like, all of the guys that South Carolina is bringing in, and I think this was, you know, a, a large point of what I was writing the other day, is just that, you know, they're bringing in guys who, are, who have proven track records at Power 5 schools, and that's that's hard to do one and, and two it's, it's something that South Carolina needed. So they're not necessarily, you know, just plugging holes. I mean, they're filling holes, but they're also sort of upgrading at some positions as well. And that goes a long way. Yeah. And last but not least here, Devonnie Reed from central Michigan, who he actually played two SEC teams last year. So, uh, you know, he's not going to be any stranger to, to playing in the, in the league. Yeah, definitely. And he's a guy that I think folks here are really excited about. I mean, he's got one year left to play if I'm not mistaken. And, you know, had over 200 tackles at, at Central Michigan. I mean, that's a lot. That's a guy who's flying around the defense. And it's a good Central Michigan team. Obviously, it sort of had a little bit of a spark under Jim McElwain and got a little bit better. And mm-hmm. You know, this is, that's a fit that I think South Carolina needed. I mean, you know, the Gamecocks lose Jalen Foster as an All-American at safety. And I think the thought is that Devonnie Reed can slide right into that spot alongside R.J. Roderick, who's, who's announced that he's coming back as well. So, you know, you throw in those two guys with uh, Tyrese Ross, who's a Washington State transfer from last year, who who didn't totally crack the lineup this year, but you know, is a guy that I think is right there on the surface that that could be uh, you know a nice complimentary piece as well next year. So, I, I mean, South Carolina is in a position where 
they've got a couple of safeties who could be really, really good. And I think Devonnie Reed is every bit that, I mean, he's played a ton of games. He's, you know, made a ton of tackles. And I think that that's, you know, that's what South Carolina was hoping for there. And last thing for you, Ben, I just wanted to get your thoughts on this because I know this is going to be a topic there in Columbia uh, all off season, but of course you just added Spencer Rattler from Oklahoma. Uh, the Gamecocks just signed two four-star quarterbacks, Tanner Bailey and Braden Davis. What do you think they're going to do now with uh, DeCarion Joyner, MVP of the Duke Mayo Bowl? And and don't forget Luke Doty, who, you know, he had a ton of buzz before he got injured. So, you know, South Carolina went from having to start a, a GA under center to <laughs> now having five talented players back here. How, how do you think that all shapes out? Yeah, I mean, I think that DeCarion Joyner will still get a, a little bit of a run at, at quarterback, probably as a change of pace type deal. But I, I don't see that sticking. My guess is he'll be a receiver next year, and that's – He'll, he'll be back at receiver, and that was kind of a one-game deal. Um, you know, Luke Doty is a guy that, honestly, like, I, I actually think that the Spencer Rattler thing, it, Spencer Rattler coming in ends up being the perfect situation for Luke Doty because I think the thing that people forget is that, you know, Luke spent a couple of games at receiver his freshman year. He played some quarterback but was thrown into a kind of a crappy situation with sort of the end of Muschamp and, mm-hmm. uh, you know, uh, guys leaving and, you know, an offensive line that wasn't quite there and, and just a, a lot of issues there. And I think that, when you look at that kind of thing, um, you know, this year he was injured most of the year as well, you know, had the foot injury that, that held him out for the start of the season and then ended his season a few weeks into it. So I, I think that, you know, the thing that Luke Doty's never really had at the college level, and I think the other thing people forget too is like he only played quarterback full time, uh, I guess, his last two years of high school, if not his last three, but, you know, he, he was only a full time quarterback briefly in high school. And so, Luke hasn't ever really had that year to just strictly develop. And I think it's something that would go a long way. And I think he's still a really talented kid. He's a really athletic kid, can throw the ball better than I think most people realize. Um, but he, he's a guy that I think can be a really good player. I just think that he needs a little bit of time. And I don't, uh, calling him a project probably, you know, that probably comes off like a poor connotation or whatever you want to call it, especially, you know, <laughs> when, when it relates to quarterbacks. But I don't, I, I don't think it's that far off. I mean, he's a guy that I think can be really good. And I think being able to sit behind Spencer Rattler is, um, you know, something that would be really good for him. Now, how the rest of the quarterback room shakes out, you know, we'll see. I mean, I think that anytime you have that many quarterbacks and in this day and age, you might lose someone here or there. You know, Colton Gauthier is also there as a three-star guy. He was the highest rated guy in the class last year. Um, in between Muschamp and Beamer. So, uh, you know, how do you keep all those guys on board? I don't know. I mean, you know, is it fair to assume that there's probably some attrition? Yeah, that's, you know, sort of the nature of the beast at this time. But, you know, right now South Carolina's in a really good spot. I mean, at this point last year, um, you know, in early January, South Carolina was down to two scholarship quarterbacks. And uh, (laughs) they ended up having a winning – they had four different quarterbacks win games for them this year. And uh, I think South Carolina sent out some notes today, and I think that's only the second time in history that's ever happened, at least, and that's been recorded. So uh, it, it was kind of a mess under center this year, but I, I think they're in a really good spot right now, and I think they've got some guys that they really like. And, you know, Braden Davis and Tanner Bailey, obviously freshmen, you know, gives them a chance to redshirt and kind of get on campus and get going. But I, I think South Carolina feels really good about where they're at at quarterback right now. All right, he's Ben Portnoy. Give him a follow at bportnoy fifteen covers uh, South Carolina for the state newspaper. Thank you so much, Ben. I really appreciate you. Yeah, Mike. Thanks for having me. I really appreciate you having me on. This was really fun. All right. So thanks again, Ben, for joining the show. And you can find uh, the article that we referenced, his latest article for the state. Put that in the show notes. Give him a follow. Give Tony B a follow. Two of the best in the SEC. Yeah, I cannot thank them enough for joining the show. 
But hey, that's going to do it for this episode. And as always, if you haven't done so already, I know we're going into the off-season. Things are slowing down. I'm working overtime here to get daily episodes out that are still entertaining. I don't know how much longer we're going to be doing it this way, but hey, this is my only source of income now. So I got to keep pumping out the content. Very appreciative for these guests for coming on the line. But I'd be very appreciative of all of you if you give me a five-star written review on the Apple Podcast app, and we'll give you a beer koozie free of charge just for doing that. Just mail those on over to that secpodcast at gmail.com. That is also in the show notes. And now, finally, for all these people that reach out to us and say, hey, I don't got an Apple product. How can I help the show? Head on over to Spotify. That's free, and we're looking for five-star reviews on the Spotify app. You do that, again, send that on over to thatsecpodcast at gmail.com and we'll send you a beer koozie free of charge. We got all 14 SEC teams represented. So that's just our way of saying thanks for those reviews because we really do appreciate each and every one of those. That really helps the show grow. But that's enough of me begging and pleading here. I'm going to cut this thing off and we'll catch you on the next one.